Hey, what up, Long Beach? Happy New Year, and welcome to the first episode of the LB Fee Show for 2021. As always, this show is brought to you by the562.org, which is myself, JJ Fiddler, and he's Mike Garnabasio. Very excited for our bi-weekly episode here. Lots to talk about. Uh, we've got the women's basketball team currently in first place, the men's basketball team humming along. Uh, and we're going to be joined in just a couple minutes by our special guest, Cindy Maisner, who is retiring after a historic and unique lengthy career at Long Beach State, the only multiple-time interim athletic director in school history. Uh, before we get to any of that, we've got to welcome on the current athletic director at Long Beach State, Andy Fee. Andy, welcome to the show. Gentlemen, how are we doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. How was your holiday? Good, good. You know, it, uh, it, it always flies by very quick. And, uh, you know, this, in this world, it's uh, more of a working holiday than anything. There's no real difference between working and not working anymore is uh, something that I really regret about the <laughs> way the world works. It's uh, like I'm in my office at home working and then I'm in my living room working and dinner's being served and then we're putting the kids down and I'm responding to text messages and scheduling another Zoom meeting. And yeah, it's uh, it, it's sort of nonstop for sure. Well, glad you got a little bit of downtime. That's good. Yeah, yeah. No, and to your point, though, I've, I've thought about this a lot, Mike. It's I'm kind of jealous of people who had a really kind of uh, dialed in home office. You know, the people that really thought about it in advance and have all the bells and whistles and whatnot. I've got, yeah, it's an office, but it's more like a state workstation versus an office. So, you know, put that on the list of things that the longer list of things that I never really should have uh, thought about. Right. Okay. But, but, but see, here's the flip side of that. I had, we literally bought our house in East Long Beach about a mile away from campus uh, in part because the office setup was great. It was like wonderful natural light. It's next to the bedroom. So it's easy for me to like work at night and then like fall, you know, onto my face uh, in bed or whatever. The problem is uh, it, the office was not intended to also host my wife's uh, high school English classroom and our son's uh, second grade elementary school classroom, which it now is. So, but, you know, I'm recording here in our uh, living room. <laughs> Good <laughs> for point. For that exact reason. So even when you planned well, the plan is not going according to plan, you know. Very good point. Very good point. <laughs> Well, it's going according to plan for Long Beach State women's basketball this year. Right now, the beach is 6-0 and in conference play after three weekends of doubleheaders just took care of the visiting Fullerton Titans this weekend. And uh, looking good in every facet of the game, which I know is something that head coach Jeff Cameron had wanted to do, bringing in players to fill those roles and all that stuff. And it just hadn't worked out, injuries and transfers and stuff like that. But they've stayed the course, and I, I, after a weekend of watching them, I got to agree, they're just very good at everything. You know, they're not amazingly great at one thing. They're just very good at everything. Right. They, I, I mean, it's really funny when you look at the conference statistics. They lead the Big West in basically all, all of the good team statistics, but they don't have really any players in the top five in any individual category. You know, they just, they're just they a great team shooting team. They don't have any one person who's just – you know, Naomi Hunt's climbing the leaderboard, but besides her, there's not really one person who's unbelievable, but they pass the ball so well, they're shooting like 44%, <laughs> you know, from three as a team in conference. Uh, JJ mentioned that 6-0 and start. I just want to highlight how special this team is. That is their best start in conference in 15 years, and they're currently way out in front of the rest of the conference uh, in the standings. Obviously, this is a year unlike any other, but the last outright non-shared conference championship for the Long Beach State women's basketball team was under Joan Bonvicini in 1988-89. They won it in 
they've tied for the conference title regular season conference title twice since then and been to the tournament obviously a couple times as well but they're really shaping up for potentially a really special and historic season and andy you don't get to go to any of the games what is that like you're just sitting at home watching it <laughs> torture absolute torture you know great that i get to watch him but yeah i'd love to be there in person and you know, I think, you know, to touch on what you guys were just talking about and, and really what Jeff and I talked about during his interview for the job was building a team, building a program. And that's really what I think Jeff has focused on. And, you know, I know fans have been, you know, a little impatient and, and, and we all are, you know, we all want to win right away. But I think what Jeff's really done is build a team that, that fits what he wants this team and program to be. And, um, I, you know, in a weird year, obviously, but, I, you know, it's really exciting to watch this group of players. I mean, they, they work so hard um, and can compete and really embody, you know, we always talk about it, grit and determination, all that stuff. And like you said, um, you know, still a long way to go here, but great start to the year for sure. So with the different schedule and teams opting in opting out players opting in opting out they're playing Irvine next week and it's a non-conference game right yeah so we're still figuring that one out um you know we were actually talking over the weekend um Irvine and us on on you know playing game. right now we we do have it that, that the game is on but we're still trying to figure it out and that's the weird part you know um the NCAA requires technically for you to play 13 games there is a waiver process that they put in this year. Um, if you can designate that you lost games literally to COVID um, in order. So if you, let's say you played only 12 total games and you qualified for the tournament, um, there is a waiver process. So what Irvine and, and, and us have been looking at is, you know, you're trying to plan. Obviously we hope to continue playing every game on the schedule and, and, and stay COVID negative as we call it. But uh, at the same time, even if we do, our opponent might not. So do you look to pick up games uh, just to get to the 13 and not have to worry about the waiver process? So right now, literally, I think we're going to figure out whether today or not, um, whether we keep that, that those two games on the schedule or not, because it is a bye week for us, um, technically. So it's just, a, again, I keep seeing it, a weird, weird year, but that uh, that's what it's all about. It, it's weird and obviously not everything's in your control, as you mentioned, is the hard part. I mean, not everything in your own program is within the control with where the numbers have been sort of region wide, because that's still the world that we're all living in. But then certainly the other programs aren't in your control. You know, you look at like UC Davis, where they were the preseason favorites, they played a game and then they've been shut down by their County. Well, that's two games off Long Beach state schedule, regardless of, you know, regardless of whether, the girls, the, the women continue to isolate and quarantine and stay test negative and everything else. So it's a, it's a unique thing, but it's also important that you guys get those games in because at six and zero in conference, you know, they're way out in front of everyone else. You know, I mean, Irvine at, at two and zero, I think is in second place right now. Um, so it does become this weird. It's like, you're, you're trying to do two things at once. You're trying to win all the games you play, but you're also just trying to play the games because like that's almost its own challenge. That's maybe even harder than winning a game once you get on the court. It, it is. I think that's what, as athletic directors, we have our weekly Big West AD Zoom call. And that's like all we talk about are the games and, you know, who's in, who's out. Uh, and then this, this conversation around trying to figure out, do you make up games? You know, because, you know, having a bye week can be a good thing. Rest your body. I mean, they're young. and it, it, But, you know, hey, a bye week at, at times is a good thing. And so you're trying to figure out, 
you know, do you keep the bye week? Do you get rid of the bye week? Do you think Davis might be playing? You know, do you fill the bye week in on the assumption you're getting another unexpected bye week later? I mean, yeah, it's very bizarre for yeah, sure. Yeah, there there is no perfect answer to scheduling this year. It's been a uh, I I will be honest and say it's been a headache. Um, one will take though because we want to compete, but certainly in any other year it's there's never been more and trust me scheduling is always like the number one topic with basketball coaches but now more than ever it's like twice that and uh i think all year long you're going to see it whether it's us picking up games or other big west schools adding games as well speaking of the schedule both jeff cammon and men's basketball coach dan munson mentioned the schedule and the doubleheader this weekend after their games and it makes sense because both of those teams are dressing nine players right now. So they're not very deep. And to play two games in 48 hours is, is a big ask, right? Well, the women's team almost gave up that second game to Fullerton. And the men's team actually put up a heck of an effort at Fullerton, uh, playing a close game on Friday night and then losing in overtime on Saturday. Are you guys feeling okay with the doubleheader, the scheduling, and the way that it's working? I mean, in retrospect, do you wish they would have done something else? You know, I mean, in a perfect world, again, you probably wouldn't do it, but in the COVID world, you kind of have to. So, you know, I don't know. In, in a way, as a fan, you know, I was thinking about this the other night. As, as a fan, it's kind of cool. It's kind of neat to play the back-to-back. It's got kind of that playoff kind of feel to it. And um, certainly, you know, when one team loses, I think if you look across the conference, that second game is always uber Brutal. competitive. Yes, for sure. So as a fan, it's kind of neat to watch. As an athletic director or a coach, you're probably pulling your hair out. But yeah, because of the scheduling uh, or because of COVID and trying to get games in, really, it was only the, the most realistic option to try and get 20 games in was this back-to-back uh, scheduling concept. I think uh, Jeff Cameron put it perfectly. You know, we've, we've asked him about it a couple of times after the games. I think the first time I asked him, he said, um, you know, it is really, he's like, I understand that for coronavirus, exactly what you said. It's the only decision. It's the right decision. You limit, um, you limit the window that the teams are going to be exposed to each other to basically, you know, 26 hours or something like that. So you're making it more likely where, that you're not going to have something where a Friday game is played and a Sunday game is canceled or something that could have really turned into an even bigger uh, impossible Rubik's cube for you guys to all solve. He goes outside of the, the health and safety. And then you said, we're so glad that they're taking it seriously, but outside of that, it's the worst, <laughs> you know, it's hard on the coaches. It's hard on the players. Uh, I, I I'm with you. I mean, from a fan's perspective and from the media's perspective, I kind of like this. You see the matchup and you come back, it, it allows you to really see the coaching adjustments and, and to kind of see what makes up a player's attitude that much more clearly. Um, but I can see how from their perspective, it, it's, it's very challenging. What I loved, uh, JJ and I were just talking about this, Long Beach State women, they come out, they beat Fullerton pretty handily. Naomi Hunt has her worst game of the season. But then, you know, she's so excited that she gets to come back and play less than 24 hours after that game ends, comes back out and, you know, drops 20 on her, right? So it's like there's pluses and minuses everywhere. It's just uh, something that we'll, we've never seen before and probably won't ever see again. Definitely, we're gonna, definitely. <laughs> we're going to have a feature on Naomi Hunt at the 562.org this week where you can also find a feature on St. Anthony alum and Long Beach State freshman Jadon Jones, who's been a spark for that men's basketball team played pretty well at Fullerton, especially on Saturday 
kind of fill in the stat box a little bit for a, a shorthanded team. And we could also have some news on that team no longer being shorthanded this week as well. So please make sure you visit the 562.org right now for all of that information. Okay, we now welcome on our special guest for the week. After 37 years of service, she is certainly leaving the Long Beach State Athletics Department better than she found it. It's Sydney Meisner. Sydney, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm great, and thank you for having me. So we're obviously having you on because you are leaving, and it was at the end of the year, so it's the turn of the year. You're, you're gone, right? It's, it's over? Uh, one week and one day I've been retired, so... Okay, so hold on. If you're retired, how does Andy still have the pull to make you do a podcast with us? You know, what's <laughs> Andy still has a lot of pull, so you okay. know. It works. <laughs> you're, you're like I'm retired. I don't have to talk to these knuckleheads anymore. What's going on? Well, and he knows how much I love to talk, so you know. I, I, <laughs> I know that's a. I, I recall from your multiple stints as interim athletic director uh, that that was not a part of the job that you enjoyed. So thank you for making the exception so early in your retirement to talk to us. We appreciate it. Um, that, that was the first thing I was going to say. You've obviously been well known as a trailblazer and a, a fierce advocate for women's sports and title nine at Long Beach state and across the NCAA, but you also made history as I believe the only multiple time interim athletic director in Long Beach state history, uh, <laughs> in between the last two ADs, uh, being hired. So my question to you is, I know from talking to you and, you know, reporting from sources close to you as well, you were never interested in actually taking the head job. Um, what, why is that? What was it about your personality? You wanted to be there to help the kids, but you have no desire to have your name at the, at the top of the organizational leaderboard long-term. Yeah, I believe that I can be help, more helpful at, as the second person on there and help the athletic director because there's a lot of fundraising in being an athletic director and I think that's probably my biggest weakness whether you ask somebody for a dollar or you ask them for a million dollars I'm not a great judge of that um I do do fundraising or I did do fundraising um you know during my time there but not at the extent that you have to do it as an athletic director. And I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons I didn't want it. I think every one of the other parts of the job I could have done, um, and I did, but uh, that one was one that I just don't enjoy doing. And there's some people, i.e. Andy and Vic, who were much better at it than I am. And so let them do that and let me do the part of the job I do love. So, cause I've been pretty lucky to be able to create a job that I really wanted it, you know, not every SWA did what I do or right. did. Um, so that was unique because I was, I was lucky enough to have people who believed in me and let me really do the things that needed to be done. So that was great. You wore many, many hats while with the athletic department. Uh, so this has got to feel a little bit weird. I mean, let, let's get this out of the way. How's retirement going? Are you, are you, are you filling your uh, days with some busy work or how are you feeling? Just podcasts, nonstop podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause you know, I went from going from eight in the morning till seven at night on zoom calls. So the only thing is I don't spend my day on zoom. Uh, this is probably that this is the first zoom I've been on since I retired. Um, I don't really <laughs> miss that part of it. Um, I didn't think I could actually do more meetings than I did when I was in the office, but with zoom, you don't have the time to walk from one place to the other. You just get from one zoom to the next zoom to the next zoom. So I don't miss that part. I have been extremely busy and I kind of look and go, what the heck did I do with my day? But all of a sudden I look and I'm like, it's four o'clock. Um, but I have been doing a lot of things around the house that I didn't ever get to get to, um, when I was working. Um, I've, you know, 
put in a new garage door, uh, put in new lighting in the backyard and, and things like that. So it's just taking time. You have a lot of people around. And I did build in my Palm Springs house, I built a wine cellar. So nice. I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, it it holds uh, over 700 bottles of wine. So, and wow. it's- really yeah. So you'll, you'll be able to keep yourself busy. <laughs> yeah, if there's ever an apocalypse, just come to my house because I'll have wine to drink for quite a while. <laughs> well, what's, what's down there? What, what do you got? You got a wide variety? You've got some special bottles you're saving for a special occasion? Oh, yeah, I have. Um, I've been probably for about five, well, probably about 10 years now. I've been collecting red wine. When I first started drinking wine, I was only white wine, and then I got into red. So I have a variety of stuff, Napa, Paso, um, is really what I like. I like heavy wines, so I got some good stuff in there. And then I'm a real, I love champagne. So in fact, I just had three bottles of champagne show up at my house today. So pretty, pretty stoked. Oh, nice. Did, did, did anybody send you any champagne for the retirement? I did. Actually, I had um, two different groups of people send me bottles of uh, Veuve Clicquot. So I was uh, very oh, happy. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not messing around. I like nope. it. I like it. Yeah. That's, that was actually my next question was what was the reaction you got when people found out that this was the year that you were going to that you were going to leave? Um, actually, the standard reaction with a lot of people was, are you sick? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> you know, so um, a lot of disbelief, I think. What I realized is that there is no one in the athletic department that's ever worked a day that I haven't been working there. So right. January 4th, when they came back, every one of them, it was the first time they'd ever been at work without me there. Not that that's a big deal. It was just kind of a weird thing to think about um, that there had been, because there'd always been somebody, but um, you know, so I'd kind of been the mainstay there for a while. Now Andy Scythe is the longest running employee there. So. Well, Andy, kind of similar to you. I mean, it's, I, I understand why people were, were like worried about you because you, you have, I mean, it's not just the, the longevity of your, uh, of your uh, time there, but also just, you're one of those people who you think of Long Beach State, you're thinking of Sydney Mazener, you think of Sydney Mazener, you're thinking of Long Beach State, right? Um, so what, what was it, you know, what was sort of the, the thought process other, I'm sure than not liking Zoom calls, what was the thought process that, you know, that led you to, uh, to choosing this time to, um, you know, to put it down? You know, I can't, to, there wasn't one, one thing that made it this time. There just something in me just said, this is time. And there's never a good time. Um, I know when I called Andy, he's like, you know, can we do something? <laughs> and it was, there was just something that clicked with me that said, this is the time and mid years, probably not the best time. And, and I hate that I, I did that to them, but I had to take care of myself for a little while. And again, I'm not sick, um, just needed to, to take care of some things within my own life. And, uh, and th so this was the time. And after I told Andy, I actually felt at peace. That was the hardest call I've ever had to make in my life was calling Andy to tell him I was gonna retire. Um, I decided I'm never visiting that Kentucky Fried Chicken again that I was headed to that day, but because <laughs> I was sitting out in the parking lot when he called me back, I was waiting to go in line, and I'm just like, okay, I'm not going back there again. Just let me just do it right for sure. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, let, let's roll the clock back a little bit uh, and talk about how you got to Long Beach State because you came as a softball player 
You were actually recruited as uh, by one of the first co- or the first coach, uh, Chris Miner, and then you were out uh, hung around long enough to play for legendary coach Pete Manorino. So really, you were at the first huge, you know, the big bang of Long Beach State softball. You were there, and then through the building of the new clubhouse, which is obviously a great improvement for that program. You know, what do you remember from those first days as a Long Beach State student athlete? Well, it's funny because when I came on my recruiting visit, uh, Stan Olin was the ticket manager and the business manager at the time. And he, the coach, Chris Miner, was walking me through the student union. And when I got there, or we ran into him and he said, if if you'd like a job, come see me when you get to campus. And so I came to see him and it was, we were getting, I, I had started working and then we were getting ready to play UCLA in football. And we used to have the ticket office used to be on the second floor of Brotman Hall up where um, I'm actually not sure what's there right now because for a while it was international education and stuff. But anyway, it was right by the fountain and the line was going out the door um, for people buying tickets. And I walked in, our ticket office was probably a 10 by 10 room and all tickets were printed. (laughs) Um, And we were getting them out of a drawer. We've come a long way since then. And um, we, uh, uh, so I started then, I started working and helping them sell tickets. I was working events, but then I also started in the office helping them. And then I started working with him as the business manager. And so it just kind of, you know, moved up through there. And, you know, when I came to play at Long Beach, we had a grass field. The backstop, I think, has been taken down recently. Um, but we had the grass field out, which would have been left field right now of um, the current softball field. And that's what we practiced on. And if you don't think practicing on an all grass field when you go to play on dirt is a little different, it was. <laughs> so, yeah, I came uh, to play for Chris and Chris left my uh the uh, between fall and spring she went and took a job at Nebraska because we didn't pay very much back then and uh, then we hired George Paris and then George was there for two seasons so one and a half years then he left and we hired Pete and I played two years or two seasons for Pete so I had three coaches in four years so but I had two coaches for each of the two seasons so it was interesting but then we played at um uh, Joe Rogers. And when Joe Rogers, if you remember back, well, you guys are too young to remember this, but um, Joe Rogers was dirt from backstop to outfield fence. Like there wasn't a stitch of grass in there. Yeah. And uh, we played, we opened up with Debbie Doom uh, against UCLA. And um, I hit a triple offer in the gap. And the only reason I got the triple was it was all dirt. And if you hit it in the gap, you could get, you could run because the ball just rolled. So <laughs> it was like, okay. You were playing bocce. You were playing bocce ball. Yeah. 100%. Exactly. But, um, you know, and then they, since then they filled up Joe Rogers and put the grass in it. You know, it's nice, a nice facility. But um, yeah, that, and then we went, when Pete came, he actually had a connection at Mayfair Park and we started playing there and that was really nice. You know, they had lights and, um, the big dugouts and things like that. And then, um, then we were asked what we needed to build a field on campus and we had 24, 48 hours to get them an answer. And so we came up with the current softball field that's on campus right now. And, um, you know, that's been a huge win for us to have that on campus and to have it right there. And then getting the locker rooms has been awesome. So it's really come a long way. The game of softball has come a long way as well. I'm sure it looked a little different when you were playing than it does nowadays. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was on the NCAA softball committee for 10 years. And during that time, you saw a lot happen. The ball changed, went back to raise seams. 
um, which had its good points and its bad points um, or challenging points, not bad points. Um, the bats got a little bit hotter and every year a different bat was a little hotter. Um, <laughs> you know, we used to kid that we should put all the bats behind the dugout and let everybody pick one. And then if um, uh, the NCAA committee pick a bat and if you could hit the ball out with that bat, it was too hot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so the ball has, I mean, the, it's changed. The pitching mound moved back. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of changes and it, it's a much faster game than it was when I first started playing, but it's still softball. You can still play two games of softball in one baseball nine inning game. So let's, let's get a little into that a little bit. We're all jonesing to talk about actual sports right now. What's the difference <laughs> between the raised seams and the, and the connected seams? Yes. Break it down mean, for me. Yeah. Does that mean the ball can move a little bit more because the pitcher has yeah. more control over it? So the pitcher can really grab and like do some more spins with the ball than they used to. And so um, now it also tears up a pitcher's finger. So they have to get um, a little callus on their hands, which then you don't feel the ball as well, but it's, um, yeah, it's really changed because it used to be a pretty flat seam. And, but then it also does more since the uh, bats have become, the walls are a little thinner to make them hotter. Um, that, that raised seam also started damaging ball uh, bats. So, you know, that was something else you had to watch out for that umpires really have to watch the bats and make sure they're not dented and things like that. Well, what I, you know, Cindy, what I really wanted to talk to you about, what I know has kind of been your focus is you've been the, uh, the SWA, the senior women's uh, administrator uh, for over 25 years. You're also the deputy title nine uh, coordinator for, uh, for all of athletics. Um, you know, you obviously, and I'm sure you've thought about this, but like Long Beach is one of really like the birthplaces of title nine, right? Like Billie Jean King was one of the, <laughs> the fiercest advocates, you know, for that legislation, um, you know, 40 plus years ago. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on title nine and how far women's sports have come from when you were a college athlete, you know, to now where obviously I think the, the Olympics have helped as much as title nine, but you know, uh, women athletes have such a bigger platform, um, you know, than existed when, when that legislation was first passed. W what have you thought as someone who saw that growth as an athlete and as an administrator um, about those changes? Yeah. One, I think it's wonderful. I think everybody should be. And I, I think we need to treat men's and women's athletics um, equally, not identically, but equally. Right. Um, I don't care what gender. There shouldn't be a men's sport that's disadvantaged either. Because um, that's not the way to handle any of it. You know, you, when you have kids, you don't make decisions on, well, you're a guy, so you get this, and you're a girl, you get this. I mean, you you build your family more equitably. And so I think that's been a good thing. I mean, on our campus, you know, when I first got there, we fundraised money to um, get uniforms, to have uniforms, to travel, to do those things. I mean, we used to drive my dad's van on occasion to go to games. And um, in fact, Stan Olin drove, uh, drove us one time. We were going to Northern California to play. You know, now they're, they're on buses. They're, you right. know, um, our first Women's College World Series experience was after I finished playing. And um, we, there was a coaches meeting at the mound for the game, for the next game. And, um, our assistant coach went out there to flip the coin to see what color we wear. And the opposing coach said, well, we just wore our darts. You wore your lights. So 
um, why don't we switch? And he says, well, we have only one set of uniforms, so we right. have to wear the same uniform. So um, we, we did um, end up doing that. But that's just kind of where we were then. And now I think we have five or six or seven uniforms in almost all of our sports. Um, not all of them, but most. And, and so that's been great. And to watch the facilities improve, um, you know, we've had, we've gone from the gold mine to the pyramid. We've, we've made improvements at the um, pool with some money donated by Ken Lindgren. We've had a new track um, that benefits both genders. Um, we've had the tennis courts, you know, have been highly improved. When I first got here, we had some tennis courts over by Brotman Hall, which is now part of the parking lot. And then um, they were <laughs> the ones over there because we had a men's and a women's team. And they called, those are the women's courts and these are the men's courts. And then um, we ended up putting them together. But, um, you know, so we've seen that with Terry Rose uh, money that came in. Uh, we've had obviously seen the softball field. Um, baseball, when I first got to Long Beach, play, played on campus. You know, we had the old rickety bleachers and, you know, we went to Blair Field and, and, and Blair Field's a great facility with a lot of history to play, um, to play at. So that's been, you know, great for everybody. But I think you've seen us come a long way in a lot of sports and, and, and that's important. But I, I think what I've really liked is we've done it the right way. We don't take away from someone to um, enhance someone else or another program. It's always trying to find new money to do those things. Um, and with a very supportive, you know, I've, I've been lucky um, administratively when I've brought up Title IX, I didn't have to bring it up. I often could just, you know, say, now remember, and everybody was always like, yeah, yeah, we need to do it the right way. And sometimes when you're getting in the middle of building a facility, you don't remember all the ancillary stuff of like, oh, yeah, we have to do this on the other side also. But I, I never got a lot of pushback from anybody. We were very um all the athletic directors I worked with were very supportive. Um, I was lucky to have, you know, people like Jane Conley, President Conley and um, President Maxson, who both were phenomenal with Title IX. I mean, um, and Sylvia Maxson was, she was amazing, you know, um, what she did for our program and, and things like that, so. So, you know, JJ and I, we just, we, we cover, we cover when the, the sausage is made, right? You're working in the sausage factory. We're, we're over here. I see, you know, I get to cover the women's volleyball team. JJ covers the women's soccer team. We see these teams that are so good. And obviously in the case of the women's volleyball team, um, kind of the standard bearer for the school for, you know, a decade plus. Um, but what, what I remember, I think probably my favorite memory of you was just getting to see you speak when, when it was up at the city council as to what they were going to name the library. And you went to, uh, to speak on behalf of naming it for Billie Jean King. Um, and I thought spoke really, you know, forcefully and powerfully about that. I'm, I'm curious as you look back, um, because JJ and I have never been in those rooms. We've never heard those conversations. It doesn't surprise me to hear that people were generally supportive. Um, but I also know that people aren't always supportive and I'm kind of curious for you, you know, when, when you, uh, when you hang up the, the credentials and you're retiring and kind of taking stock, what are, are there any moments that you think of where you're like, well, I really pushed the boat in the right direction there, or boy, if I had taken a job in some other state, this might not have happened at Long Beach State, you know, what, what are you sort of proudest of in terms of your personal stamp on, on that part of the university's history? Well, I think just moving us forward in in all aspects a little bit because I have done so many different jobs there and I was lucky pretty young I became an assistant athletic director and then an associate athletic director so I feel like I never thought about going anywhere but Long Beach um, 
but I do feel like, you know, the softball field probably is the thing that I probably had the biggest um, input on. And not because I was a softball player. It just was, that was the facility that could potentially have the biggest impact at that time. Um, you know, I hate talking about specific sports because you always get yourself in trouble when you do that. Um, but, you know, I, I've had a hand in a lot of different things. So, um, you know, I, I can't think of just one that's made. I think, you know, the Sylvia Maxson golf tournament that we did for a number of years, um, that was a great fundraiser for women's athletics. I think the women's wine taste, um, obviously I had a, an affinity for that and uh, that brought in some <laughs> money. Um, and, uh, but I, I think just, you know, not letting people forget that women's athletics was there and that we needed to promote it because it deserves to be promoted um, just like any other sport, whether it be a, a football program, a basketball program, or a, um, you know, a, a men's tennis program. Every one of the sports on the women's side deserves as much um, publicity and things like that. So I think that was, you know, making sure we did media guides for everybody so that they were available so people could get that information because you as media need that information in order to be able to spout the things that you talk about on um, on your time. And, and that's important. And, you know, knowing the history of women's tennis and how Jenny's brought that program to where it, where it is and how the track programs come so far. I mean, I remember when um, in women's and men's golf, we had a married couple, um, the walkers and, you know, they would drive like to, Marty and Del Walker. That Marty and Del Walker, yep. And they would drive to Denver and those places with a uh, with a um, golf team in a van. And and that's just we don't let people do those kinds of things now. And and that's you know that's that's but that's what we were doing back then. You know they shared an office and um, I think with a few other people too. And you know and we now we've we've built that up. And you know it's it's a. Long Beach is a great place and I wouldn't give up my last year, my, all my years there. I mean, I went to Long Beach specifically because I wanted to get into athletic administration hmm. and um, I was, I was able to live my dream there. Um, you know, if you cut me, I think I bleed black and gold, not red uh, because I do love that place. And I've had the opportunity to work for some phenomenal people and with some phenomenal people. So does part of does one arm bleed black and gold and the other bleeds brown and gold? Is that how it works? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. You know, not a lot of people look good in brown, so black is a really good. <laughs> you know, when I was in softball, we wore gold one year, and I swore we attracted every bee known to mankind because we were all in yellow from head to toe. I'm like, this is not a good thing because we spent our entire entire time swatting flies or bees trying to get away from us. So. Before we let you go, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your time with the Big West Council and the executive committee with the Big West Conference. What do you think the conference needs to do when we return to action to kind of move itself up and become an elite mid-major conference? You know, I think uh, is really getting everybody on the same page, I think, um, of you know, we have different, we have people, some people are in the MPSF, some people are in um, also in the Gold Coast Conference and all that. I think really trying to bring those members because we have a lot of similarities and really strengthen those similarities. I believe if you have a team that in, of a sport that is in the Big West, you should all play in the Big West. You shouldn't be playing in other 
in other areas. And I think that just strengthens, it's very confusing to people of, well, what do you mean you're in this, you know, conference for this and that conference? I mean, and we only have a couple conferences. There are some other schools that have way more. So I think that can do it. I think we have some great athletic directors and SWAs in the Big West that can really help um, move the, the conference forward. And, you know, obviously um, basketball can play a huge part in that. Um, we were lucky to play in the, I'm uh, sorry, the Honda Center, yeah. I can't, every once in a while I'll call it the pond again. And I'm like, no, wait, which was the right one? But um, uh, yeah, the Honda Center, I mean, that's a great facility, but you got to put people in it. And that's the hard part. And, you know, and Vegas has been a place that we've looked at before, um, you know, and, and well, actually we were there years ago. Um, you know, we'd been in Nevada, we'd been in, in Vegas, we opened the MGM uh, years ago there. And so, you know, and being in a place where there's a lot of other basketball, is that going to help or hurt you? Nobody knows until we try it, you know, and, and see, um, is that a good place? We need, it needs to be a destination. So people once, um, you know, they come no matter what their team's doing, because they know they can also do other things. And I think, you know, and, and we've done a good job over the years of really getting people on committees. Andy's um, he's the chair of the men's water polo committee right now. I was on the softball committee and you've got to have people in those places in order to um, keep your name there and keep relevant because you also work with all these other people and you get ideas from them. And that's very, very helpful. And I think that's what will move us forward is really, you know, and, and the TV has helped, um, you know, our, um, the previous group put in a good TV package and we went out and bought a, um, a mobile unit that could go to different campuses and that put us on TV a lot and um, we need that and people don't realize what digital media does for you. Um, whether you're on ESPN3, I mean how many kids are at home sitting and watching their cell phone you know, because that's what they can watch at that time or their iPad or their computer and those things are important. It doesn't always have to be network TV, that's nice. But being on, that gives you exposure, I think. And, and this is all my personal opinion. It's not anybody else's. But I think, you know, those things can quickly make us. I think the world of, of athletics is going to change. And, you know, I think none of us know what it's going to look at. You know, COVID is going to change it. And I think um, that um, NIL is going to change it of what we see moving forward because funding is so important and both those things are going to have a huge impact on funding. I don't know why you're nervous about coming on podcasts and talking. That was great. Yeah. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's retired. So she's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, well, yeah I good. can't stick my foot in my mouth. It's only me. <laughs> I could hear the compliance officer in you still with like, these are my opinions, not anyone else's. We'll have you back on again. And then you can be even more candid. How about that? Yeah. I just don't want Andy to have to answer for me at all. That should not be this. Why is this woman saying this stuff? Well, she's retired now. So, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And uh, we speak for all of LB Nation when we just say thank you. All right. Our thanks to Cindy for joining us. Uh, Andy, I didn't know you were making her uh, come in, you know, on her for like eight days into retirement. You're asking her for a favor to come hang out with the three of us. I mean, geez. <laughs> it's kind of status, right? Isn't that faculty staff and you retire, you think you retire, but you're really just emeritus. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I, I didn't want to tell her. I was like, you're really opening the door here to like, anytime they really like something's going wrong, you know, you're still going to get that. You're the, you're, you're no longer staffing the office, but you're now you're part of the fire department. You know what I mean? <laughs> if something's going wrong, you're clearly on the list. <laughs> well, when Cindy and we all gather again at events and she comes to a game and, you know, Oh, Hey Cindy, good to see you. And by the way, what yeah. do you think about <laughs> I'm going to go back to work, Cindy, even if it's for five minutes with Andy right <laughs> well she was uh she was fantastic so thank you for uh for bringing her on the show uh before we get out of here we do our big shouts every other week shouting out somebody who deserves it mike who's your big shout out this week uh my big shout out is uh i don't know if i'm uh, allowed to reveal this or not but my family got out of town for a night on saturday night so my shout out is to uh everyone basically who's working all the essential workers uh, we went and uh, did a little snow day for the kids, um, which was after 10 months of being locked in the house together, really much needed. Um, but uh, I know JJ and I have talked a lot about this. We left like a huge tip for the, you know, the housekeepers who came in after we were in the hotel room, because I'm sure they're all stressed and, and worried about having to go to work every day. Um, and I know it just meant so much to my family to have that brief brief respite from you know all of the stress of of planning our normal daily lives so my shout outs to everyone who's in housekeeping and working front desks and working at target and trader joe's it's sort of allowing the world to uh to still function uh my big shout is a simple one mess of wires it's a local band a long beach based band you can read about them in the uh, grunion newspaper right now actually it's online the story's available uh, and it just reminds me of a lot of rock and roll that I listened to in the 90s. And if you've been uh, paying attention to music in the last decade or so, you know that uh, rock and roll has been dying a slow death. Uh, but a return to that grunge feel. And they're from Long Beach, so support your local bands. There's, Mess of Wires. They're available right now pretty much everywhere you get your music. There's a current Wilson student in that band. And that, that was literally my first thought uh, when I, I first listened to him and I sent you that link over. It's like, how did this kid grow up listening to the same music that we grew up listening to? <laughs> they don't have to download it off LimeWire, Mike. They can listen to it whenever they want. <laughs> All available. Andy, finally, what's your big shout for the week? How dare you? Surprisingly, uh, maybe not surprisingly, Cindy Maisner. And um, as, as you guys uh, spoke with Cindy today, you know, three and a half years or whatever, Cindy and I worked together, um, truly a legend and not only a legend here at Long Beach State for what she's done for us, but as you talked about with her, uh, I'm sure in women's sports and, and, and Title IX and all of those things, I, I think Cindy's legacy um, is a deep one and one that we're, you know, even as she retires and, you know, she was laughing with you, I've, I've been talking with her still, not about work, but, uh, you know, her life and, and doing what she's doing, but the, the, the really important work that she was able to accomplish is, is real legacy stuff, not just, you know, okay, Cindy's gone. It's, it's what we continue to do here at Long Beach State. So my shout out and, and eternal gratitude uh, on behalf of all of us here at Long Beach State, uh, we love you, Cindy, and thank you so much. That's a good one, Andy, and another good episode of the LB Fee Show. Thank you so much to you, producer Roger, everybody else over there who gets this show up each and every week. Like we mentioned, please visit the 562.org for all of your Long Beach State athletics news because, hey, we've got some now. It's a new year, and we've got news, so check it out, everybody, and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Take care. <laughs>